I'm Alicia Mikolajsik Kurtz, and welcome to Real Talk, a place where doctors and other healthcare professionals share stories about their real human experiences working in medicine. On today's episode, we'll hear a story from Lori Winston, an emergency doctor from Visalia, California, who recorded her story at a live Real Talk session in Chicago, Illinois. Picture the face of somebody you love. And I don't mean just like a little. I mean really love, fiercely, as in truly you want what is best for this person more than you care about yourself. What is it about that person that makes you love them? Something about the way they talk, their sense of humor, the things they find interesting, or what it's like spending time with them their personality, the things that make them a quality human being, the way they make your life better by being in it. What would you do if, in an instant, that person was gone? And I don't necessarily mean they died, but they weren't them anymore. The way they think, the things they feel, the way they interact with you, changed forever. It's really tough when the people you love die, in part probably because of our complex relationship with death and loss and the many beliefs or doubts that people have about an afterlife, but at least we kind of get it, right? We know that at least for this life on earth, death is final and we have to say goodbye. But when the person doesn't die, when they still have a breath and a beating heart, it can be much harder to cope with losing them. In medicine, we have tons of examples of this. People have strokes or go through trauma or have severe illnesses that result in their brain chemistry, their, their spirit, their soul, not really being the same afterward. And while sometimes we have a pretty good idea of a person's long-term intellectual prognosis, sometimes we just don't know how it's going to be. Some people do come back to their normal selves over time, or at least a close approximation of that person we always knew and loved. But some people don't. The waiting in the meantime, balancing the hope with the worry, the faith with the uncertainty, it makes time pass about as peacefully as a kidney stone. And given how much we identify ourselves by the people we love, how do we not lose ourselves? when we feel like we've lost them? How do we cope with that? How do we go on just hoping? This is Lori's story. Um, I kind of feel like my whole life that I'm always the person that's like in the longest line for Costco or like when you're trying to get through a toll, it's like always like five cars and then people are flying past me. Like I just pick the wrong things all the time. And so, um, but I really feel like two things I did correctly was that I went to medical school, it was a big one, and then marrying my husband, Evan. And so we moved to California and he's a big cyclist and he loves cycling and we're leaving a, behind the snow and rain in Chicago. And I start working. I'm intense on my career. Like, I don't want to have children. I am going to be the one that works now. And so he 
um, started cycling. He was like shrinking, like turning into like a little French person where he would just like for miles and miles and miles, he would ride and ride and ride. And then um, I was in my office and one of our partners, Linda Herman, was visiting at the time she was interviewing. I was trying to recruit her. And she was having an interview and I was in my office and the, I, the phone rang and it was the ER. And they said, Evan's in the ER, you should come over here. And I thought, I wonder why he's not calling me. And then I have all these thoughts in my head, like of like his femur bones sticking out of his leg or something like that, where I was like, it's, it's going to be like that. So my director of GMA, Amy, she said, do you want me to go with you? And for a weird, I, I usually don't do things with other people. I'm very like Gen X, like I'll do it my way, <laughs> get out of my way. And I said, yeah. So she came with me and I walked into our trauma bay, my trauma bay, and he was intubated. And so I just fell apart and he, um, he was whisked off to CAT scan and I started hyperventilating. It's like the only time, like second time I'd ever hyperventilated. In college, I hyperventilated because they put the boot on my cart <laughs> for my parking tickets. And I, had like, and I just lost it. And hyperventilating is hard. So the, the, the social worker who had seen his phone, she, she saw me on his phone and they were like, oh my God, sorry. And so she sat me down and she was like, breathe faster. And I was like, you're an idiot <laughs> because, <laughs> because you don't breathe faster when you're hyperventilating. You're supposed to breathe slower. And so he had, everyone thought he had been hit by a car, but it turns out that this truck had passed and like the wind, it was like a long double truck or something, just put him down and someone had stopped, thank God, and put a blanket on him and ran into the fields not knowing how to say in Spanish, what's the word for address? Like, what is the address of this place to call EMS? And so I did um, two medical things. I, like, I yelled at the pharmacist to give him, like, Cerebix because he was having, like, myoclonic jerks, which is a bad sign for a TBI. And then I suctioned that little thing around the ET tube. Like, to, I don't know what I was doing. And then I got in the car, someone drove me to the hospital because at that time we didn't have neurosurgery. He needed to go to Fresno. And then at Fresno, um, I just kind of hunkered down overnight. And they told me that he didn't need surgery, but I didn't see a neurosurgeon. So then at like two in the morning, I was, I was realizing like, I need to know what we're going to do. And he was in a coma, like without any meds. Like I was living one of those like, soap operas where the person's just like asleep and they're like wake up and he was just out so he did have a subdural and it was decided he didn't have, he didn't need surgery but at two in the morning I was like if he does need surgery this is his only window I need to talk to the neurosurgeon and the nurse was like we don't call the neurosurgeon at two in the morning and I was like we are tonight <laughs> <laughs> So that I could get my questions answered, and then, um, and then, like a second year surgery resident put or uh, so someone put a central line in him, and I had to consent for it. And I didn't tell him anything. I didn't tell him I trained residents to do this. I was just like in this dress that I eventually threw out because it was like that dress, you know, where like your whole life changes. And his brain started to swell, and he was in the unit for many days, and I kind of thought that I was going to kill myself. So I had plans for the whole thing. Like I just, I didn't want to live without him. 
and I was serious. And uh, people believed me, unfortunately. I told a couple people, but um, it's sort of just like time started to pass. And then uh, he got extubated, and I got focused on all these little things that were technically victories, but sort of just like concrete things. Like rather than looking at the big pictures, like the world stopped where like the news would be on or other people would be like going to work. And that just wasn't what I was doing. I would pretty much just like shower and come back. And the nurses were great. They would put him in the most comfortable positions so that his brain's swelling would be minimal. And then he got extubated and transferred to the floor too quickly, in my opinion, to the point where, um, I showed up and he was like in a diaper and like four point restraints with like an NG tube. And I thought, this is marriage, right? This is what I signed up for. This is what I'm going to get. So they, um, he ripped his NG out multiple times. And so I told the nurses that I would be staying overnight like I always did. And they said, well, we don't do that on the floor. And I was like, we do now. <laughs> and at one point, my dad was outside in a car. And, like, these police cars pulled up. And he literally thought, they're going to get her. <laughs> because, because I was escalating in the hospital. Like, they sent a surgery resident. I was like, you're cute. But I'm staying here tonight. And, like, it ended up escalating to the trauma department until they were like, okay, she can stay. Because he ripped his NG out twice. Every time I walked out of the room, he ripped his NG out. You think I'm going to leave him? So I started blogging. Um, just so that I didn't have to answer questions or talk to anybody. Because, again, I really kind of isolated. And um, slowly, you know, he got better to the point where he didn't need to be strapped to the bed. They have, like, human cages for people with TBIs, right? It's really kind of scary. And he woke up to the point where he knew who his sister was and he knew who his brother was, but he didn't know who I was, which was upsetting. And then we were walking with a physical therapist and, and uh, he said, so, like, uh, I think if I ever had a TBI, I would just be, like, naked in a corner, like, <laughs> I don't, like uh, humping something inappropriately. And he, he, he would say inappropriate things to, like, the staff. And, and he couldn't understand, like, when they would put the blood pressure cuff on him, he would just, like, look at it and scream like a kid almost, you know, it was like a kid. Um, but he started coming around. They would ask him, like, what do you like in your omelets? And he would be like. Lori, 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 because he realized who I was, I think. And then, but the problem was, is that he he could re- he could remember a lot of things, but his record button wasn't on. So I would say, "What did we just eat for lunch?" And he would be like, "Pizza," and I'd be like, "No, we just had burgers and fries." Also, the feed, feed eating thing was a big deal, where he wanted to drink so bad, he was so thirsty, and he could only swallow like nectar thick liquids because swallowing is a complicated function, and so he. He nearly killed himself multiple times with swigs of soda. (laughs) Um, But so slowly and slowly, he got better and better. And it was interesting when he was in a coma, Linda Herman, who had been visiting, came up to me and she was like, very practical. Just like, Linda's like, get it done. And she was like, don't worry, Laurie. We can still take his sperm and you can have a baby. And I was like, I'm not even thinking about that. I was like, that's not where I'm at right now. (laughs) I was like, 
And so, um, you know, I struggled with what kind of rehab he needed because no two injuries are the same. There's not a lot of research out there on what to do, but he eventually could walk and he could talk and he could, um, he eventually knew what year it was. It's like a breakthrough. He also wanted to sell all of our things at one point and like <laughs> do some crazy stuff. And he did a lot of sleeping and I never worked for the whole month and all my partners filled all of my shifts. I just never, I never came back from the hospital like that day for an entire month or so. And so then, you know, after, you know, I brought him home and he was getting better, but it's like, what part of someone do you love? It's really their brain. Like he could have had a heart transplant and it would still have been Evan, but he had a brain injury. So it wasn't him anymore. So I had a lot of PTSD and I had to go to therapy um, for this person to teach me that I had some control over this, and that I was the one that had put him on the pedestal before the accident. And so I was the one that could decide, you know, who he was and what I needed after. And so, you know, after a year of a traumatic brain injury, you can drive and you can order at a restaurant and people may not know you have a TBI, but you're not like Evan, you know? So I stuck with it, but it was hard. And uh, eventually over the years, it finally got to the point where it was Evan. And I understand why a lot of people don't make it there. Um, but I think that time makes everything better. And that I'm so lucky that eventually, you know, I told myself that I wanted this to be like a coffee table story that I wouldn't have to think about it every day or bring it up every day. And now it is. So it's nice. Yeah. He is the most amazing person. And he convinced me then that we should have kids, which was a good decision. I almost messed that up. <laughs> you should have kids. You should have kids. I should have had more kids. And so, um, but I'm so grateful for what I have and that I stuck with it. <laughs> Thankfully, Lori's story has a beautiful and happy ending, one that highlights her bravery and her strength and her willingness to stand by Evan, to be there through sickness and health, the good times and the really, really bad times. But not everyone's story has a happy ending. Sometimes people don't go back to being how they were before an illness or an injury. And we are forced to grieve their loss while getting to know their new persona. And nothing about that is easy. Have you ever lost a person that you cared about deeply? How do you cope with that? How do you find the balance between letting yourself love someone fiercely, but without losing who you are wholly to that person or that relationship? How have you or will you find the strength to go on if that person the way you know them now is gone someday? How do we support those around us in medicine or otherwise who are going through this kind of loss or this kind of seemingly endless waiting, wondering if their loved one will wake up or come back or be the same? What can we do for them? Thank you to Lori Winston for sharing her story with us. 
to the team at Vituity for their support of this podcast, to Marco Gonzalez, our sound engineer, and to all of you for listening. I'm Alicia, and this is Real Talk. Want to connect with the Real Talk podcast or record your story with us? Head to vituity.com slash realtalk for more information or email us at realtalk at v-i-t-u-i-t-y dot com.